for checking out this message from Spring Mountain. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, swimmountcf.co.uk. Or join us every Sunday from 11am at Abbey Road in Barrow and Furness. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, then please email prayer at springmountcf.co.uk. Okay, few, that sort of explains a few things maybe. Um, or, you know... Was there anyone here alive when we still had capital punishment in the, in the country? Yeah, okay. Alan, Alan at least, as, as admitted, and a few people aren't quite so sure. But um, I came across some interesting punishments. Um, you might have seen a picture on the internet of a, a barber in America who was offering haircuts for naughty boys. Okay, and this was uh, this is what they looked like. Okay. Uh, they turned them into old men. It's a bit dark, but you, you can see it made him look like... My barber obviously thinks I've been a naughty boy for most of my life, is all I can say. You know, uh, he looks quite... I think he looks quite cool, personally, but as I say, it's like looking in the mirror, but hey. Um, or maybe there's this one as a dad. You know, a dad, his daughter was misbehaving and wasn't coming in when she was supposed to and hanging out with boys. So he made her wear this T-shirt, which uh, had a picture of him on it saying... <laughs> Stay clear, boys. This is my dad, okay? <laughs> Raymond, you could get one of those now, maybe. You know, maybe, maybe. Just in your running gear. <laughs> but, um, you know, I know there's at least one person in this congregation who's used the Get Along t-shirt as well. Yeah, okay, Rebecca, you've admitted it. I'll name you. That's fine. Where she puts her two children in the same big t-shirt because they've got to learn to get along. I think it's genius. Genius. Does it work? No, okay. <laughs> as we get to the climax in our Esther story, we realize, as we have all along, God is in the detail. God isn't mentioned, but he's in the detail. And God is fair. God is just. And we've come to this point where Esther and the nation, of the Jews that are in the place are under threat of um, annihilation, all because of one man's pride, all because Haman's ego has been dented. And so... Uh, he comes to Xerxes and Esther comes to Xerxes for a banquet. Now, Xerxes was a wild man. We haven't gone into much detail about him, but it's known from other sources that he was a fierce and scary punisher. Okay? One of his punishments was this. He had a bridge built. A fantastic bridge. Fantastic bridge. And that sounded a bit like Donald Trump then, didn't it? Okay. Fantastic bridge. Fantastic bridge. It's going to be great. Okay. Um, he had this build, bridge built. Was that quite good? Yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? He had this bridge built, and the, the, a storm came and actually damaged and, and wrecked the bridge. And what he did was he ordered his guards to go and give the sea 300 lashes because the sea had dared to break his bridge. But also he ordered that the people who built it were beheaded. So he wasn't a very pleasant guy. And here is Esther coming before him pleading. For mercy, And actually, he's already asked her once, if you remember, she's already had a first date. She's already been, and he said, what do you want? I'll give you even half of my kingdom. I'll give you what you asked for. What is it you want? And she said, I want a second meal, if you remember. And Esther chapter 7 comes just after Haman has uh, had his gallows built and feels better about the thought of impaling Mordecai on a big stake or hung, whichever way you want to look at it. So let's read from Esther chapter 7. Starting at verse 1, uh, reading from the NIV this morning, it says this. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? 
it will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Again, a generous offer. This guy is a guy who goes and whips the sea. Okay? So actually, this is quite significant. We've got to recognize that God isn't mentioned, but God is in the details. God has the power to turn even the hardest of hearts. God has ability to get in and to work behind the scenes in our situations. Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we'd been merely sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Stop there a minute. Esther is asked once again, what is it you want, Esther? What is it I can do for you? My wife, what is it? You've found favor with me. What do you want? She gets this second banquet. Why? Because she's shown patience. How patient are we? How willing are we? Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard. She's shown patience. She's shown humility. She hasn't gone in on that first occasion and started pointing the finger at Haman, has she? She could have done because of what he'd done. But she waited. She waited. She reveals her background for the first time to the king. She shows that she is a Jew because this order has gone out to kill the Jews. So Esther says, king, I'm your wife. I'm a Jew. This order has gone out. It's to kill me. Not just to kill my people, to kill me. And she pleads for her life. She doesn't make an accusation, but she lays out the exact situation. She doesn't name Haman, doesn't she? She doesn't sit at the table and go, well, king, you see this guy sat here? He is a real wrongan. He is a terrible man. He is evil. He is egotistical. He is boastful. And he needs to be taken down a peg or two. She doesn't say that. She lays out the situation. And she says, God, I'm in danger. King, I'm in danger, sorry. King, my people are in danger of annihilation. She lays out the situation. Grant my life and spare my people. She chooses her moment and lays it before the ruler. She lays it before the one person who can do anything about her situation. She brings it before them. And she brings her situation without accusation and simply shares the facts of the issue. She doesn't ramble. She doesn't ask for anything as punishment. There is no bitterness in her at this moment towards Haman. There is no bitterness at this moment. There is purely a desire for the king to put right what has been done. There is a desire for the king to know that her Life is in danger. She isn't demanding at this point that something terrible should happen to him. And actually, she doesn't demand that anything terrible should happen to him. She simply says, I need your help. It's the opposite of Salome. You know the story of John the Baptist where Salome dances and then he's asked, what do you want? What do you want? I'll do anything. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a plate. You know, that's quite evil, isn't it? That is bitter. That is twisted. That is... I want a bit of revenge. I want that man dead. Was Esther within her rights, maybe, to say, I want Haman dead? Maybe. Because he had sent out an edict to basically annihilate a whole people just because one person wouldn't bow. Was she within her... Yeah, she was probably... She could have had a righteous indignation and a sense of self-righteousness. But she didn't. 
She leaves that to the king to decide. She leaves that for the king to decide. She doesn't demand something terrible should happen. So as we start this morning, let me ask us a question. Are we focused on the king or are we focused on our enemies? Are we focused on the one who can do something about our situation? And are we focused on sorting our own situation out and ourselves out? Or are we more interested in putting somebody else's situation right? That's what Esther does here. She thinks of her situation and her people's situation. She's not like Salome saying, sort out John the Baptist, I want his head on a plate. She wants her own situation sorted. How many of us in this room focus too much on other people's situation before we sort our own out? How many of us are looking at the speck in other people's eyes before we sort out the plank that's in our own? That's what Esther was doing. She was saying, God, King, I need you to help me. Are we focused on the mercy of the king or are we focused more on the downfall of our enemies? Because I know which one God wants us to be. God wants us to focus on, our, on the mercy of the Savior. He wants us to come before him and say, God, I can't do anything about my situation. I need your help. God, this is the mess I'm in. I need your help. God, this has befallen me. I need your help. Not God, that person over there has hurt me. Sort them out. But God... I come before the king, Jesus, who died for me, the one who can do something about my situation, and I throw myself at your mercy. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to throw ourselves at the mercy of the king of kings? You know, Esther shows grace. There's a verse in Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 15, that should come up on the screen that says this, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Powerful, that verse. A gentle tongue can break a bone. Now, you might think, well, that sounds good. I'll be gentle to my enemies so that their bones get broken. It's not about that, okay? It's not about that. But in a world that is getting more rude with one another and more aggressive towards each other, where people don't think anything of jumping out of their cars if you flash the lights at them to give you a load of abuse, where people don't think anything of, of barging you out of the way and using language against you, who they don't even know you. Can we be gentle? Gentleness is an underrated quality. Yeah? But Esther exhibits gentleness in all her dealings with the king. Esther exhibits a gentleness that can only come through God being present with her. Yeah? God isn't mentioned, but he's present with her. Because she's patient, she's gentle, and she goes to see the king and throws herself at his mercy. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, on my Facebook recently, I keep getting a lot of adverts for the Humanist Society. Anyone else getting this one? They've obviously paid for a lot of advertising, and whether it's because I've got links to church specifically, but there's all these adverts keep coming up for the Humanist Society. You know, And the Humanist Society thing, it's saying about it's all about being nice to each other. It's all about being kind, and they start to say how religion is antiquated, and religion causes war, and religion causes hate, and religion causes fighting. Well, I want to say this morning, I'm not religious. <laughs> But the thing that's really sad is I really want to make a comment, but I have to stop myself. Because actually, they say religion has oppressed people, has made their souls you know, go cold. What was Jesus' teaching? Love one another. I think they're stealing from Jesus. Love one another. Love your enemies. Do unto others as you would have done to yourself. If religion has made people feel oppressed, it's not because of God. It's not because of God. We've got to look at ourselves first. 
If we make somebody feel less important than we are, it's not because of God. That's because of our own insecurity. That's because of our own insecurity. Jesus said, love one another. Love your enemy. The problem is us. Maybe you are showing love. But can we do even more? Not because we're trying harder, but because there's more of him in us and less of us getting in the way. You know, that's the lesson from today's, today's readings really is we need to get out of the way and let God be seen. We need to get out of the way because we are not great, <laughs> but we need to be less and him more. Yeah? Yeah? The Bible tells me we can be filled by him. If we're full of him, what is God? God is love. If we're full of him, we're full of Hey, great. God is joy. If we're full of him, we're full of... Yeah, thank you. Well, somebody's happy this morning. Barry's on his 10th coffee already, I think. But if we're full of him, then what do we get promised? What is the Bible's promise? That the fruit of the Spirit will be seen. The fruit of the Spirit is what? The first thing? Love. Second thing? So those are the first two things people should see. Yeah? But it's all one fruit. It's not lots of, we might say, well, I'm really good at being peaceful. <laughs> okay? I'm really good at being peaceful. It's great in my house this week. Lots of people have been away. It's been quite peaceful. <laughs> so this week, I've been really good at being peaceful. But actually, God says, no. I want to grow in you. And the only way I can grow in you is if you get rid of the weeds. <laughs> the only way I can grow in you is if you get rid of the stuff that strangles me and stops me from blooming. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and ooh, self-control. That means you've got, a, you've got a role to play. And as God comes in, we will control ourselves far better. More of God, less of your bad choices. More of God, less of my bad choices. More of him in us. And the more his glory is seen. The more his glory is seen. You know, the problem isn't God. The problem is people. The problem isn't the church. The, the, problem, the problem isn't God. The problem is the church. The problem isn't God. He must sit there some days and think, oh, Johnny, what are you doing? The problem isn't God. It's that we aren't showing the love. It's that we aren't showing the joy. It's that we aren't standing together with the broken. It's that we're broken ourselves. Let's get that straight, okay? It's that we're not standing alongside one another and lifting one another up. When there's an opportunity, do we tend to get our heads down and think, oh, I'm really busy this week, I won't bother? Or do we think, yes, I'm going to serve. Do you know, I was really encouraged this week. It's not in my notes, and I'm sure Jim won't mind me mentioning this. But we've, who, who, who's enjoying having that new welcome team on? on and it's great. And it's got to be, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... And Jim said he's had an email from a few people saying, actually, the one thing that surprised him, and it shouldn't, is that actually people on the welcome team are being blessed by doing it. You know, they're not here necessarily to be the blessing. They are stepping out, serving God. And guess what? They're going, hey, it's really exciting, this, serving God. Woo, newsflash. Okay? That's exciting. That's all right, isn't it, Jim? Yeah? Yeah, you don't mind me. I won't say, I don't know who it was, but I know that actually that's exciting. These people who are stepping up to serve, you're coming here early. They're coming here to help and they're coming here to smile and show God's love to people as they come in and they are being blessed. They're not emailing Jim saying, oh, I really blessed this couple this morning. When they came in, they thought my handshake was a 10 out of 10. They thought my hug, <laughs> hug, sideways hug, because that's not creepy. Uh, the sideways hug, they thought my sideways hug was great this morning and I'd sprayed some links on, so they thought the smell of me was great. They're not, they're not saying that. 
They're saying, as I'm stepping out to serve God, I'm being blessed. That's not a news flash. That's a promise. That's a promise. And as we allow him to grow in us, people will see the fruit that is in you and is in me. It's not about you being strong and capable because in your weakness, he is strong. In your insufficiency, he is sufficient. In your desperate need, he is all you need. We aren't doing it. We want to exclude maybe sometimes. Jesus, we want to exclude people. Maybe we want to reject. Maybe we want to criticize. Maybe we want to argue. But God says, I want you to love one another. Esther came humbly. A gentle tongue can break a bone. Resist the temptation to argue with people who don't agree with you. Because you're not going to win. Most people who argue just want an argument. Most people just want to try and test you. And they're not interested. If you throw all the facts in front of them, they're not interested. They just want an argument. So instead, love them. Just say, I don't know all the answers. And then set out practically to love them. Set out practically to love them. Because that is what Jesus would do. Be loving, be gentle, patiently listening. You know, how did Esther approach the king? How did Esther approach this dilemma about her situation that was literally life or death? What did she do? She prayed and fasted for three days. And not just her, she got all the people to pray and fast for three days. She didn't just go in there with anything going, well, I know what I'm talking about. She prepared herself. She prepared herself. How does she prepare herself? By spending time with the one who knows, the one who makes a difference. That's how. You know, it's not rocket science. We just need to spend time in his presence. As we do this natural supernatural course, that's what it's going to be about, spending time in his presence. Not rushing away, not just having a service, but waiting, being still. You know, that verse in Proverbs is also backed up by a verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, that says this. And this is a really challenging verse. It says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. There's a challenge. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Why? That it might benefit those who listen. People are listening to our conversations. What should come out of our mouths? Encouragement. Love. What should come out of our mouths? Encouragement and love. To be, who likes being built up? Yeah, a few of you. A few of you obviously don't. I'll tell you what, I'll insult some of you a bit more. If that's what you want, that's fine. You know, if I said to Barry, oh, you're looking really smart this morning, Barry. You'll feel really embarrassed now because I'm pointing him out. But, you know, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? If I say you've done something, you know. Barry has, has power washed my decking this week. Really impressed. That's really good. I'm, I'm going to give him some honor. He's now cringing because I'm mentioning it. <laughs> But actually, I really appreciate that. It looks great. And I can say, what would it do if Barry did that? And I went, Barry, that was useless. You missed a bit. And that's what some of us do, though, isn't it? You might laugh, but that's what some of us do. You know, I played a wrong note this morning, and Jake and Manny both laughed at me. <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand the pressure I'm under when I'm playing the piano over here, because as soon as I make that little slip, I know that those two, and they're in my eye line, and they, 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 let me, they let me know. But what about all the hundreds of notes I got right? You know, thank you. <laughs> okay, no, the, the glory goes to him, not me, okay? So I'm not doing it for that, but what I'm saying is it's a funny thing, isn't it? But actually, that's what we're like. We pick on the one little thing that we don't like, and instead, 
we miss all the hundreds of things that are amazing because we're so busy being critical or looking down or wanting ourselves to be bigger and other people to be less. Well, it's about God being bigger and us being less. That's what it's about. You might think I've made more than one wrong note this day. I don't know. But hey, that was one I noticed. Okay? And that, my, do you know what my reaction is always? To look up and see if Jake's noticed. And boy, <laughs> has he noticed. You know? I can't see Raymond. Otherwise, I know that he'd probably be saying the same. But in fairness, Raymond's very encouraging of me. He wants me to run and get fit. So that's good. Okay? But <laughs> our words should be for encouraging and building up. You know? Who have you built up this morning? Who have you encouraged? The welcome team have encouraged people if they come in. Guess what? They've been blessed because they've done it. Could you imagine if the welcome team, as people walked in, went, oh, I don't like your shirt. Can you imagine that? You know, can you imagine it? Oh, oof, your hair doesn't look so great today, does it? You're looking a bit rough. You know, can you imagine that? It's not a welcome team. That's a, <laughs> that's a get out team, isn't it? A rejection team. We don't want to be on the rejection team. Esther came humbly with words that were gentle. You know, I remember... Um, there's a simple thing called think, T-H-I-N-K. Most of you have probably heard this before. But before we speak, sometimes we should have the speed to ask ourselves five things. T, is it true? It might be true. It might be that I look a mess this morning when I came into church. Is it, is it true? H, is it helpful? No, it's not helpful to tell me, okay? Because it'll make me feel down. Is it true? Is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? Is what you're saying inspiring? Johnny, you look a mess. No, it's not. <laughs> N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Think before you speak. True, helpful, inspiring, necessary or kind. And that is what Ephesians says. And that is how Esther responded to the king. She was in there with the truth. She was sharing something that was helpful. It was inspiring because she wanted a nation of her people to not be wiped out. It was necessary for that very reason. Did she do it kindly? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. It's not always easy. But when Kirk, the penny drops with King Xerxes, the penny finally drops, and he says, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? The judgment has been passed without knowing who the person is. The judgment has been passed because of the action. Esther didn't need to point a finger. She just needed to lay out the situation. And the king says, who is he? Esther said, an adversary, and enemy. And then she does say, this vile Haman. Why? Because he had reacted to one man, denting his ego, and even bribed the king to pay off, to destroy them. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Esther for his life. Haman knows it's curtains. I used to have curtains. Haman knows it's curtains. He begs Esther for his life. Isn't that an interesting turn of events? The man who was upset that nobody was, one person wasn't bowing down to him, now bows down to Esther. Why? Is he apologetic? Don't think so. Is he sorry? Don't think so. He's just worried about himself. He's worried about his own situation. He's worried about his own life. He falls at her feet. How do I know he's worried about his own life? Because he shouldn't have been there. When the king left the queen, he should have been out of her presence. He wasn't allowed to be there. But he was so desperate to save his own skin that he falls at Esther's feet. Effectively, does what he's, effectively um, 
an attack on Esther. Effectively, uh, it was seen as a sexual advance. He was doing something he shouldn't have been desperately to save his own bacon. How many of us, when we're found out, want to save our own bacon? But actually, in the first place, if we give things to God, he knows anyway. Esther chapter 7 goes on that says this, Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she's with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. That is a sign that he's about to be killed. They covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, Impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. And then the king's fury subsided. What goes around comes around is one of the things, isn't it? We've got to trust God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not for us to take into our hands. We've got to give it to God. Haman is punished by his own standards. Interesting that, isn't it? Haman is punished by his own standards, treated to his own expectations. As we finish this morning, how about us? What are our expectations of other people? Do we treat them with the same expectations we expect on ourselves? Because I don't think we do. I think we're very quick to have high expectations for other people's behavior, but don't apply them to ourselves. Somebody upsets us or lets us down, and we say, oh, I'm never going to do that again. And yet, actually, we might be letting somebody else down. Somebody, Somebody says a bad thing about us, and we ignore them. And yet, we might say plenty of bad things about other people. How are our expectations this morning on each other? You know, God's standards and expectations are so high that we can't reach them on our own. We can only reach them because Jesus' death and resurrection gets us over the line. Jesus' death and resurrection and his forgiveness of our sin gets us over the line. It's the only way. Only being good can only get us so far. Jesus himself, whoever you are, can get you over the line this morning. He can get you over that line to meet God's expectations because God will see you through Jesus. God's expectations are too high for any of us. Why do we need Jesus? So that none of us can boast about how great we are. That was Haman's problem. He was boasting about how amazing he was. He was boasting at how good he was, how people cared about him, how the king thought he was dead special. And yet, actually, he wasn't humble, and he didn't know God. God, through Jesus Christ, can get us over the line. We can boast about how great he is if people only see us. If people only see us, then they're going to miss out on seeing him. I just want to put a picture up. This is a, this is a pop group. Um, anyone recognize this, this picture? Anyone recognize who they are? Sorry? Five star, they've, oh, they've aged a bit, but hey. This group here won a Grammy. They won three American Music Awards. Never, never, never heard of them? Okay, no? No? Girl, you know it's true. Ooh, 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 I love you. Anyone know that one? Some of the older people in the congregation are still shaking their heads, so that's fine. Anyone know who that group is? Donna. They are. This 
If I put the next picture on, do you know who they are? You know who they are? Millie Vanilli. Oh, recognition. Go back to the other one. Because they're actually Millie Vanilli. Because there was a scandal. Those two gentlemen you see are the ones who got the awards. They're the ones who got the prizes. And they're the ones who are credited with singing the songs, releasing the albums and everything else. But actually, they were, they were exposed as a fraud. They didn't sing a note, the other two guys. They mimed and lip-synced everything they did. And so the people who were actually singing the songs were these guys. And none of you knew who they were. Do you know, I think this is a bit of an illustration of how some of us are living our lives. You know, Jesus is in the background. Jesus is in the background. We're the front. We want everyone to see our nice hair, our shiny faces. We want everyone to see this projected image we've got. And actually, if that's all they see, then it's a fraud. If that's what they see, then actually we want people to see Jesus. If you're not a Christian this morning, then actually there's no Jesus to see. But if you're a Christian this morning, then God promises to fill and flood your life. But we've got to get rid of the weeds so he can be seen. So don't be like Millie Vanilli. <laughs> don't be a front where nobody knows what's behind the face. Because actually, the people who should have got the credit were these people. Making Chris work hard this morning. These people were the ones who should have won the awards. These were the people who should have got all the credits. These were the ones who should have had the screaming fans. These were the ones who should have been you know, acclaimed. And yet, actually, it was the two nice-looking, packaged individuals that got the glory. This morning, the story of Esther tells me this, that actually, we need people to see Jesus. We need, see, we need people to see God at work, our humility, our love. We need to throw ourselves at the mercy of Christ. Today's Palm Sunday. What did people do when they saw Jesus on Palm Sunday? They threw, they threw palms in front of him. They praised God. They sang Hosanna. They proclaimed him as King of Kings. Surely, we want to do that in our lives. Not just on a Sunday, but in our day-to-day, -day, eating, waking, sleeping lives. We want to lift him high so that people don't say, oh, Johnny's great. I want people to say Jesus is great. You know? If people have a testimony from being part of this church, I don't want them to say Spring Mountain is great. I want them to say God is great. If people have a testimony about their time here, I don't want them to point out a person. I want them to point out the person that is Jesus. Because, do you know, I think somebody sent me a message not so long ago that said, don't put your pastor on a pedestal. Put him on a prayer list and lift him up. Because actually, I'm just as, I'm just as broken as you. But actually, I have a saviour that puts me back together again. And allows his light to shine through my brokenness. And I just want to say this morning, Esther came humbly. Esther came with grace. Haman was fake. He was fake. He was boastful, egotistical. But this morning, we want people to see Jesus, yeah? And the best Jesus we can show him is the one that's working in our lives. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Instead, use your words to build up one another and encourage why so others will hear and see that God is love.
Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. And Father, I pray that anyone in this place will know that we are all weak without you. Father, that it's in our weakness you have strength and that you can show your love in action. Father, not one of us deserves, not one of us deserves what you give us, but that's grace. Father God, we thank you that through Jesus we can be lifted higher, but so that we can lift him higher still. Father, help us to be getting out of the way. Don't let people see the front that we put on. Help them to see the Jesus that is behind everything we are. Father, if there's somebody in this room this morning who doesn't know you, who hasn't experienced the fullness of you, I pray, Lord, that they will not delay, but that they will ask you into their lives this morning. And Father, for those of us who've been Christians for a long time or a short time, may we know that our journey doesn't finish until the end anyway. But Father... May our journey be an upward ascent to your presence. May we decrease and you increase so that others will see love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. Father God, we just ask this morning that our hearts will be good soil, that you might grow. Show us the weeds we need to pull out. Show us the stuff we need to get rid of so that you can grow strong and tall at the center of who we are, both individually and as a church. We pray these things in your name. Amen.